thank you, choir and John and John and Lily and Patrick for leading us in worship today. Would you show your appreciation with a round of applause for our choir and guest? It is good to be together in worship. I invite you to turn to two passages. I'll read in just a moment from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. But if you could also turn to Colossians uh, 1, 11 through 20 that Katie read a moment ago, and we will pay particular attention to verse 17 of Colossians 1. But first here, Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we give you thanks for the privilege of gathering together in this place to worship you. We thank you for all that has taken place already in this service of worship that has blessed us. And we are grateful that you are moving among us. Now we pray as we gather in a spirit of thanksgiving that you would continue to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, my ninth and 10th grade years in high school were great years if you were a sports fan of our school. Uh, the quarterback for our football team in those years uh, went on to be the starting quarterback at Wake Forest University when Coach Pruitt was coaching there. The, uh, the best player on the boys' basketball team had a great career at Virginia Tech. And then the best player on our girls' basketball team was the state player of the year. She was an All-American. She had an outstanding career at NC State. And last year, she was inducted into our county's Sports Hall of Fame. And she was a little bit older than me, but, but I knew her, our family knew her. And when I was a little boy, I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to play basketball the way she played. Even when she was a girl, everybody knew that she was already a special player and that she was going to be a special player. She had great skills. 
She had great knowledge of the game, and no one worked harder. No one practiced harder than she did. No one was more competitive in the games than she was, and our teams did exceptionally well when she was on the team. However, there was a downside to that competitiveness. When an official made a, a call, when a referee made a call that she disagreed with, she always, she always expressed her opinion. Always. She did so not just with her voice, but she did so with her whole body. It was an amazing thing to see her express her feelings. And she was hard on her teammates, and she was hard on herself. And really, more because she was hard on herself, in, in those moments, she wasn't her best self for the team. Enter a second friend of mine who played on those girls' basketball teams. Uh, we were in the same youth group, same home church. We knew each other well. That wonderful combination of being friends at church, at school, and in sports. And she was a great player in her own right, but here's the special gift that she brought to the team. She knew how to harness the competitiveness of our best player and use it for the good of the team. She knew how to help the best player stay focused when she was frustrated. She knew how to bring out the best from the best player and the best from everyone else, which meant that though she wasn't the best player on the team, she was the person who kept the team together. She was the glue that held the team together. It's not unusual on a team, in a family, in a community, in a business, in a school, in a church. It is not unusual in any organization for one person to be the glue that holds everything else together. Sometimes it's because that person is in a position of authority. Other times, in fact, I think most often and more effectively, that person can hold things together because of their character. Everyone trusts them. This person has a patience. He or she has a love for the group. And, and everyone knows that that person has the best interests of the group and the organization in mind. And when we are in the presence of a person like that, whatever organization, whatever institution, whatever group, when we're with someone who holds things together by their character, everyone has the opportunity to flourish. It's not that that person does everything for everyone else. That person helps create a context in which we all can do our part and in which we do that work in a cohesive way. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says of Jesus, he holds all things together. Jesus holds all things together. He does, though, from a, a place of authority, 
of power with the Father and through the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 of Colossians 1 says that for in him, in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created. As the creator of all things with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus in his power upholds all things, sustains all things, literally, physically, everything holds together in Jesus. But it's not just who he is in authority and in creative power through his character and through his work to fulfill God's redemptive plan and through his love for us, Jesus holds all, thing to get, all things together because of who he is. Verse 20 says that God is pleased to reconcile to himself all things through Jesus, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. As the creator of all things, as the one who loves us, as the one who is patient with us, as the one whose life, death, and resurrection was given for us, Jesus holds all things together, including your life and mine. When the world seems to be falling apart, when our little world seems to be falling apart, we know that the one who created us and died for us and was raised for us, we know that Jesus will hold things together. Now that doesn't mean we breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, that's covered. Jesus has it all under control. We'll just live however we want to live and enjoy life to the fullest. No, no. The fact that Jesus holds all things together then frees us, liberates us, sets us free to live for him and to do the things that God calls us to do and to be the people that God calls us to be. The fact that Jesus holds all things together frees us to gratefully, joyfully live under his rule. Today is Christ the King Sunday. The Sunday before Advent begins, it's the Sunday when we remember that Jesus holds all things together as king, that he reigns on high in heaven above, that his rule is over all of creation. And on Christ the King Sunday, as we celebrate Christ's rule, we recommit ourselves to living under his reign, his reign of wisdom, his reign of love. Which brings us to the passage from Jeremiah, which describes some of the kings in the life of Israel. As Jeremiah speaks these words, there have been a succession of kings who have not lived wisely and faithfully before the Lord, and thus they haven't ruled wisely. And so the Lord says in verse 23, in chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, through the prophet, the Lord says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Kings who have not loved and served the Lord, kings who have not guided and shepherded the people, God has lost patience with them. And through the Babylonian empire, God scatters the people, the responsibility from this passage being upon the kings. And Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed and the best and brightest of Israelite society are marched away to serve as servants in Babylon and the monarchy ends. Verses one and two come true 
through the Babylonian Empire. But there's hope. That's not the final word. Verse 3, the Lord says, Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And this happens when the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire. And the Persian king allows the Israelites to go home. Verse 4, the Lord says, I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them. And they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. And through leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah, the Lord does raise up shepherds. Not like in the past, but the Lord does raise up shepherds to guide the Israelites, the remnant that has come home. But there's more. Verse 5, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety, and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. And we understand Jesus to be the fulfillment of these words. Jesus, about 500 years or so after Jeremiah, speaks these words. Jesus, born in a manger. Jesus, God in human flesh. Jesus embodies all that Israel is supposed to be, and through his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus reigns on high as the one true king of kings who reigns with wisdom and with justice and with righteousness, not just for Israel, but for all the world. Jesus fulfills these words. But what does that mean for our daily lives? What does it mean for your life and mine that Jesus is king over all creation and that he rules? Well, look again at verse 2, how God describes Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 2, how God describes what the kings of Israel were not doing. In verse 2 it says, they were not attending to the flock. They were not giving their attention to to the people. And as we think of Jesus as king, we think of Jesus as the complete opposite of these kings of Israel. As the one who reigns on high as king of all, Jesus never ceases to be attentive to the world. Jesus never ceases to be attentive to your life and mine. There's no person alive this day, alive ever, that Jesus was not attentive to, reaching out to them in love, calling on them through the Holy Spirit to follow him and embrace them by faith. And there is no moment in our lives when Jesus, King of all, Christ the King, is not attentive. His attention is focused right now on us as individuals, as a congregation, and on his people all over the world. Who have gathered in worship. We have a, a great privilege in our church. I'm not going to embarrass him too bad, but Camden's dad, Arkell, is the coach of the Huntington Prep basketball team, number five in the country right now. Is that right? Somewhere along the okay. Uh, we're going to find out. I'm going to I'm going to make an invitation, and we as a church, any who wants to, we're going to go to one of the games soon. We look forward to that. But I got to go to a game this week to see a Huntington Prep play. I don't know if you guys keep stats on this, but did you realize you had 14 dunks in the first half? All right, nobody's keeping track of that, but I was. And so it was great to watch the team play, but there was someone else in the gym that I was watching. 
there was someone sitting on the front row in the stands with a towel in his hand. And he was consistently running out on the floor. You see, there was a, it had been raining that day. There was a leak up in the ceiling. And there was just a small but steady drop that would fall down on the court right around midcourt. And so this, this guy had a towel in hand. And whenever the play, the action was on the other end of the floor, he would run out and he would wipe up that spot. And then he would run back to his seat. Now, the team was tired, the team was sweating, the team worked hard, but this guy was really working hard. Not just physically, he wasn't tired because he had to run back and forth, but he was tired mentally. Here's why. He had to pay close attention to multiple things at the same time. He had to watch the drop as it was coming down on the floor. He had to know when the team was on the other side so he was safe to go out and wipe it up. And once he was out there, he had to wipe it up wipe it up while having an eye on the other team because if he didn't get out of the way, he would get run over when the teams came in the other direction. He was playing, paying close attention to multiple things at the same time. Now multiply that a thousand times and we won't even come close to the kind of close attention Jesus pays to us and to all creation. Christ the King, the one through whom everything was made, the one who holds all things together, knows your name and knows everything about you and watches over you always. Every joy, every sorrow, every act of kindness and love and faithfulness, every sin, every time we fall short, every place of brokenness and pain, Jesus attends to us in those moments. And he wipes away every tear and he washes away every sin when we call on him, just as Camden said, Jesus washes away my sin. He does that through his attentive love to us all. Now, Jesus holds all things together, but that doesn't mean, at least not yet, that he puts us all together in the way that we would like to be put together. And it doesn't mean that he puts the world together in the way that he or we would like for it to be put together, at least not yet. One day we believe Christ will return and fully establish the kingdom of God and all will be as God wills it to be. And finally and fully God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as heaven and earth become one. But until that day, there is still suffering and pain and hurt in our world, even though, even while, Jesus is holding all things together. He's not holding it all together so that things will go perfectly for us now. He'll do that one day. But as he holds all things together, Jesus then chooses to work through each of us to proclaim his love, 
and invite people to follow him, to further his kingdom, to care for people in our need. In fact, the truth that Jesus holds all things together then makes it possible for us to do our part in the fulfilling of God's will. Why? Because it's not all up to us to get it done. Jesus gets it done eventually and now working through us. But the fact that he holds all things together sets us free to do our part as small as our part seems to be. And so I invite you to join us in praying this prayer from Colossians chapter 4, that God would open up doors for us to share the love of Jesus with those around us. Because Jesus holds all things together, we can pray that prayer and we can walk through those doors when the Lord opens them. Because Jesus holds all things together, we can love and be present with one another in all of our struggles, whatever those struggles may be. Because Jesus holds all things together, we can go out into our community and work for the kingdom of God because it doesn't all depend upon us. We simply are following and doing the work of the one who's holding us together. And because Jesus holds all things together, we don't even have to fix ourselves. We can trust in his presence and his love and do our part and know that he is with us helping us to battle every struggle, every addiction, every challenge, every temptation. Because Jesus holds all things together, we can trust the Spirit and rest in his arms and do our part. A man had come to know Jesus later in his life, but he was struggling in the Christian life. Things weren't working well for him. The challenges seemed to be too great. He he seemed to be so far from living the way that God wanted him to live. His his life was not together. So he went to to see the the wonderful Christian author, Henry Nouwen, who wrote so beautifully of the Christian life. And he explained his dilemma to Nouwen. And Nouwen replied that contrary to popular opinion, Christianity is not for getting your life together. Contrary to popular opinion, Christianity is not for getting your life together. It's not that Jesus doesn't do great things for us. He does, and he promises that abundant life, and he blesses us in our challenges, and he gives us victory in so many ways. But but the focus is not on what we can do to get our lives together as we follow Jesus. The focus is on giving more and more of ourselves to Jesus who holds all things together. I shared with you last week about a, a phrase that I was introduced to through a, a young woman at a, a school that Davis and I visited. She talked about relentless thanksgiving, being relentlessly thankful. Sisters and brothers, Let us be relentlessly thankful that Christ is king and that we live under his reign. Let us be relentlessly thankful this Thanksgiving week and always that Jesus holds all things together. Let us be relentlessly thankful that Jesus as king is forever attentive to us and to all the world. 
Let us be relentlessly thankful by living under his reign, sharing his love, working with each other, walking alongside each other in our struggles so that we can be the people we were made to be. Let us be relentlessly thankful that the king who holds, holds all things together rules in wisdom, justice, righteousness, and love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we are grateful for the reign of Christ over all creation, the reign of Christ over our lives, the reign of Christ over our world. For the attentiveness of Jesus to us, we are humbled and relentlessly thankful. We ask now that you would help each of us to turn all of our lives over to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the reign of Christ. And may we do the same for our church. And having trusted that Jesus holds all things together, may we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, live the lives and do the work that you've called us to do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so we sing of the firm foundation of Jesus Christ for the church, hymn 408. And as we sing this hymn, I will stand at the front to receive any who would come forward to share public decisions, professing your faith publicly as Camden did several weeks ago and was baptized today, or as a follower of Jesus already to unite with our church, or you may simply need to come forward and pray. Would you stand as we sing together?